Welcome to First Reading, the Old Testament lectionary podcast for preachers, teachers, and all who wrestle with the scriptures. I'm Rachel Wren. And I'm Tim McNinch. We're coming up on the ninth Sunday after Pentecost, the lectionary date, uh, August 2nd, 2020. And we're looking at Genesis 32, verses 22 to 31, which is a doozy of a story, mm-hmm. kind of a, the climactic moment in the whole uh, Jacob story. Mm-hmm. And so I guess if I had to guess, <laughs> you might say this is one of your favorites. Oh, it's one of my all-time favorites. It's This is probably, though, honestly one of my all-time. It's one of the earliest sort of favorite stories I remember having. In the ah, Bible. So you it's really mean so, it this time. I really, really mean it this time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, before we kind of jump into this uh, this moment in the story, can we fill in a bit of the backstory for people? Sure. Uh, We had a great conversation last week with Dr. Cameron Howard on um, Jacob and his marriage of both Rachel and Leah, who are sisters. Uh, And and we jump over a lot of the rest of the story to get to this point. So just some quick little backstory here. Um, Rachel and Leah have a battle of the babies for a couple (laughs) of chapters um, where and and it's battle of the babies. Battle of the babies. (laughs) And it sounds funny, and I'm making it sound funny, but it's really quite sad because hmm. what's ha- going on is Leah or Leah is attempting to win her husband's love by bearing him child after child, while the wife that he does love, Rachel, languishes in desperation to get pregnant even once. I mean, it, it's really a heartbreaking story. It's just as sad as the struggle between Jacob and Esau is the struggle between two, these two sisters. Unfortunately, though, one of them can't just run off to their family because they're married to the same guy. Mm-hmm. So the final outcome is that between Jacob, Rachel, Leah, and Jacob's two servant wives, Bilhah and Zilpah, the family unit grows by 12 children. At this point, it's not 12 sons. It's 11 sons and one daughter, Dinah. Uh, the 12th son, Benjamin, isn't born until later. They come cheaper by the dozen. <laughs> and then they decided to do a baker's dozen just to fill it out, right? Right. <laughs> so... Uh, What happens next is that once they have all these kids, Jacob, through some of his typical trickery, cheats Leah's and Rachel's father out of a bunch of sheep and goats. But Laban, his father-in-law, he can't quite catch him in the act. Mm -hmm. So Jacob gets away with it, Mm, sort of. Laban's sons don't really care so much about proving that Jacob is doing something wrong. They just decide to take things into their own hands. So Jacob hurries up and packs up his things and starts to head back home to Isaac, Rebecca, and Esau. But what's the problem with that, Tim? Uh, I, last we saw Esau, he was waiting to kill Jacob. <laughs> yeah, things are not any better where he left. So now he's like totally stuck between a rock and a hard place. Or it might be better since anger in the Hebrew Bible is often associated with fire. It might be uh, better to say he's stuck between a campfire and an inferno. Hmm. He's got his in-laws who are spitting mad coming right after him. And he's got his own family of origin mess that he's about to waltz right into and it sounds a little like a typical family holiday gathering, right, Tim? <laughs> Maybe your holiday gatherings. <laughs> oh, burn! <laughs> <laughs> All right, so walk us through what Jacob does as he prepares for the encounter with Esau. Okay, so he sends out an advanced team to find out what Esau's doing. 
they come back and they relate, oh, he's headed your way with about 400 men. So Jacob is scared crapless. He goes into full-on strategy mode. He is doing his best to heal his way out of this, if we're going with the theme of Jacob as heel and grabber and trickster and all that mm-hmm. stuff. So he hides half of his flocks and his belongings and servants, and the other half he divides into multiple cohorts. And he sends off group after group of camels, donkeys, cows, colts, servants, so that before his brother can even get to him, Esau is swamped with wave after wave of gifts trying to win his brother's favor. Now, finally, after all the presents have been sent, Jacob is left with his wives and his children. He sends them across the river, so they're the last possible things that Esau could get to. They're in the safest possible place. And then finally, in verse 24, right close to where our text for today starts, it says this, and Jacob was left alone. Mm. Yeah, it's kind of uh, kind of like we've walked backwards back to the text that I looked at a few weeks ago where uh, Jacob was at Bethel on his own and fleeing from Esau. Exactly. Jacob, through the process of this, what, what the lectionary is considered backstory, Jacob is stripped of everything that he has acquired after he left Esau, he is stripped of his belongings, his servants, his children, and his wives until it is just him fleeing for his life alone at night. Mm. And God shows up. But differently than the story that you looked at, Tim, where it's this hene of promise and blessing, this is a little bit more of an ambiguous meeting with God. And it's it's no less gorgeous for that ambiguity. This is a story of Jacob wrestling with a man. Uh, that man, scholars have argued, may be an angel. It may be a man of God. It most likely was not Jesus Christ before Jesus Christ <laughs> took human form. But this person is in some way representative of God. And that is a gorgeous image of what it can feel like at times to have faith. Jacob wrestles, and he will not let go of this God-man, even when the struggle injures him, even when the divine being requests it. Jacob will not let go until he is given a divine blessing and a changed name to represent the encounter. Jacob, heel-grabber, becomes Yisrael, El meaning God, or here with God, and yasar from the Hebrew word, which can be translated striven, but it can also just mean exert oneself, persevere. You've persevered with God, Jacob. You hung on. Mm. Yeah. Wow. It's so good. <laughs> so don't leave us hanging. How does the story end? <laughs> what happens when the two brothers finally face each other? Does the lectionary tell us? Not yet. No. <laughs> It certainly doesn't. And I actually, you know what? I actually wouldn't rush there. I think that's kind of the pitfall and the angle of this text. I told a lot of backstory before I even got to what's assigned for the lectionary text for the day. But this is one of the great stories in all of biblical literature. It's great because it's so beautifully led up to and written. And it's great because it is a really deep well of faith resource for people to draw from. 
You do not want to hurry this text. Give it the backstory it needs for people to understand where it's coming from. But don't treat that backstory as the context that you have to give before you dive into your real sermon. Mm. Make it a part of your sermon. When you are handed a really great story like this, sometimes the main goal of the sermon is to let the story preach. Walk them through the tension that's building up. Walk them through the drama of wrestling throughout the night with God. Anybody with anxiety who has trouble sleeping will get this text. Anybody who has had to wait up long into the night for news of a loved one will get this text. Anybody who has struggled with their faith and felt like God was beating down on them in the midst of that struggle will get this text. But whatever you do, don't leave out the second to last verse. It says, The sun rose upon Jacob as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. This is the key verse, the key faith resource of this story. You may wrestle with God throughout the night, but the sun will rise upon you. You may leave these encounters with God limping, but you will leave them with a blessing. You will leave them changed as Israel did if you can just hang on. Well, there's a sermon there. It's so good. It's such a good text. The whole text is a sermon. (laughs) (laughs) Well, preachers, I hope you will take that and let it preach. And that will bring us to the end of this week's episode of First Reading. Thank you, Rachel, for your work on this. Absolutely. Folks, you know that you can find all of our past episodes over at firstreadingpodcast.com. There are links to the lectionary there and to our guests and their work. We're so glad that you're listening to our podcast. And if you've gotten something from this, do share it with others. Let other people know what's going on over here at First Reading. We'd love to make these resources available to as many people as will find them helpful. Until next time, I'm Tim McNinch. And I'm Rachel Wren. Blessings upon blessings, preachers.